Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. It is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. Brandon Scott, Adam Spolane here with you. Austin Mendez handling things for us behind the scenes. And we're coming to you between recording this episode, between the Rockets beating the New York Knicks at home and going on the road to face the Memphis Grizzlies. So we're doing this on a Tuesday night, but the news of the day, and of course the news of that game, Adam, which you attended at Toyota center was how the Rockets lucked their way into a win. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. Like I was, <laughs> I, I know that Rockets fans are celebrating the result of that game, but if I was a Knicks fan, if I was anybody for the Knicks, I'd be hot. I'd be really hot by the way that that game ended. Um, they sort of uh, allowed themselves to be in that situation to not be able to challenge the call. But, of course, you know what we're referring to. Aaron Holiday just sends up a heave, a prayer at the end of the game after Jalen Green has his shot block uh, at the rim as, the, as, as time is expiring and regulation looks like we're about to go into overtime. Aaron Holiday heaves it, and Jalen Brunson gets called for the foul. Of course, the game-winning Free throws are after that. He gets two, misses the second on purpose. There was a weird moment there at the end of the game where it looked like they were going to award them the timeout possibly and let them maybe run a play there at the end, but they didn't. Just a just a very wild turn of events, and, and that's on top of the way that the first half ended with a similar uh, a play where, of course, the Rockets were able to challenge a, a foul call, and yeah, man, it was just it was just a lot going on. But the news of the day is that the Knicks are actually going to challenge the the ruling or challenge the the outcome of this game. We know that that it's not going to be uh, overturned or anything like that. But I just, from you as somebody who was there in the building, what was it like to take in all of that action? Well, I mean, 
the Rockets outplayed them for most of the game. The Knicks got off to a good start, then the Rockets kind of took control really from the middle of the first quarter on, and then uh, Jalen Brunson got hot in the second half. Um, they filed a protest. It's not going to do anything. Um, I, I think you more you, you filed a protest more out of frustration than anything else, and they certainly have the right to be frustrated. I mean, they said it in the pool report, Ed Malloy did, he was the crew chief, that they missed the call. And when you, you know, when you admit that you missed the call, you know, minutes after the game ended, I mean, you missed it. It was a bad miss. The The last two minute report uh, just confirmed what Ed Malloy said after the game. And, you know, it, it happened. Um, the pro, I, I can't imagine the protest gets upheld. Only six protests in NBA history have ever been upheld. The last one was 17 years ago, and it had nothing to do with a missed call. Like normally when I, I think usually protests will get upheld because a rule was applied incorrectly. It's not because of a missed call because missed calls happen all the time. It's a human error. You know, you have humans refereeing the sport. They are going to make mistakes. Sometimes they're going to make mistakes early in the game, middle of the game. Sometimes it happens on the last play. And last night is not the first time in 17 years that a call has been made in the very last seconds of the game that have, uh, that have impacted the outcome of it. And so the, the game, the protest that got upheld, was 17 years ago. It was a game between the Heat and the Hawks. And the reason why the protest was upheld was because the scorer's table uh, charged a foul to Shaquille O'Neal when it was called on somebody else. And eventually Shaq fouled out because of this. And so that's why the rule basically was applied incorrectly or they made a mistake at the scorer's table. That's why that protest was upheld. And that's why that game basically was picked up from a certain spot in that game. And again, the likelihood that this impacts anything it's basically as small as you can get and i'm telling you and a big reason why is just because it opens up for the league of can of worms where okay well the next challenge this at the buzzer guess what more teams are going to start pro more teams are going to start filing protests and before you know it they're going to have to replay like a dozen games every single year and nobody wants that so uh, again, the Knicks are more than welcome to go ahead and file the protest and spend their money on that and it's not going to go anywhere Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. I acknowledge all of your points, and they are well taken, but I got to say, man, this is an egregious call. Like, I didn't I didn't think that, and, and you're, you're right about human error and making mistakes. God knows that, I, like, I'm the last person to get on somebody for making mistakes. I make plenty of them, like, on a daily basis. But when I look at that call, it at no point looked like a foul. Like, I, I was shocked by it in real time. Like, two things about it. Aaron Holiday is just throwing up a prayer. Not that that's a reason to foul a guy or that a guy should be fouled in a situation like that. But the fact that it's not even a real shit, it's, it's only barely and hardly and technically a real shot attempt. And Jalen Brunson does not foul him. Like normally, normally we're talking about a missed call, like something that doesn't get called that maybe should have, as opposed to something like this that's, that's so, to me, was so obviously not a foul being called a foul in the moment. Like it was, it was just shocking. It was a it was a jarring result, and I, and and honestly, man, if I was, if I, I know it's just a regular another regular season game, a blip on the radar, but I would be pissed off on principle. No, it, it's it's an egregiously bad call at the worst possible moment. 
Uh, and Jason Goble, he blew it. And listen, Jason Goble was the referee that that blew that LeBron that LeBron hack. Remember going to the rim in that game in Boston last year? That's the same referee. Now this is a good referee. I mean, Jason Goble is is an official who has been around for a little bit, and he's a guy who worked two postseason rounds last year. I mean, only you know. You got a lot of referees in the NBA. Very few of them get to the second round of the playoffs. He was one of them. So uh, I don't know if this will ultimately hurt his ability to get postseason assignments. It probably should. But, you know, this is just it, it happens. And this is why they have the challenge system in there is to protect against this type of a situation. And unfortunately for the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau decided to use his challenge on a on a block charge in the first half and that's a call frankly that is not going to get overturned very often and that's why you should save it and and I do think one thing that you've seen this season and I'm kind of getting off on the challenge system right now but the league has added an extra challenge if you get the first challenge right the one thing that I think we've seen more of this season than in the previous four or five seasons however long they've had the system is that teams are using their challenge a lot earlier, just assuming that they're going to get it right because then they'll get the second challenge. And it's pretty amazing how many times teams have lost that early challenge and then left themselves without a challenge for the rest of the game. So listen, I totally get why the Knicks are upset. They certainly have a right to be upset. But at the same time, you said the Rockets still had a challenge. You know, the Rockets had used their challenge earlier in the game, but they had gotten it right. So they were able to get the extra challenge. If you're going to use that challenge in the first half, you better be damn sure that you're 100% on it. They weren't. They left themselves without a challenge the rest of the game. I will say it was a poorly officiated uh, game really for the entire night. They couldn't decide whether or not it was going to be called tightly or they were going to let stuff go. And again, this was a decent crew. This is Ed Malloy is the crew chief. Ed Malloy is a finals ref every single year. Jason Goble, as I said, he's a guy who – Worked the second round of the playoffs last year. Like these are two really you'll you'll see a lot of times your crew chief will be a guy who maybe has worked a handful of playoff games over the course of his career. So this was a good crew. This was an experienced crew, and they just had a bad night last night. And unfortunately, it it happened to be in a really close game, and probably their worst call of the night was at the very last second of the game. Yeah, and I don't want to make an excuse for the Knicks for mismanaging their challenges and timeouts if, if if that is an argument that could be made that's fine but i also do wonder and, and just curious on what your thought is on this but like i i do wonder if the nba could adopt some sort of system where at the end of the game or with a certain amount of uh, with a certain amount of time left in the game they can review a call like that like it, I, I do think there's a responsibility on tom thibodeau the coaches around the league to manage their challenges properly and to be judicious about their challenges. But it does seem like that is a critical enough point in the game and technology and just everything we know about how replay can sway a game uh, and, and just, you know, the investment in games, uh, the gambling, like just every like little layer of it that you want to, that you want to factor into it as to why the end result matters aside from just the competition and the integrity of the game standpoint, like just all of it it feels like there should be room for at the end of the game, there's somebody somewhere saying, Hey, let's make sure we get this call right. And don't just leave it up to, Hey, will they mismanage their challenges? Uh, you know, tough luck. And here we are 10, 15, 20 minutes after the game admitting that we got the call wrong. Well, they, th that's basically your, 
saying they need to have the NFL approach where yeah. the NFL yeah. goes to the booth, you know, all challenges are done or all reviews are done through the replay booth at, uh, at two minutes. And the NBA kind of did this. Remember up until I think last year might've been the first year where they stopped doing this. But if there was any questionable out of bounds call, they would go to the monitors. And it turns out that this is awful because it stops the flow of play. And so you're kind of getting into that dangerous ground. Well, because there are a million, you can challenge basically anything that happens at the end of a closed basketball game, whether it's a foul, whether it's an out of bounds call, and you're just going to spend all your time at the monitors. And it's not great. And you see this sometimes, in, you see this in college basketball because college basketball still has the rule where they'll review anything under two minutes. They'll review clock issues. They'll review out of bounds calls. And it's awful for college basketball because all it does is that the referees just spend half their time at the monitor and these games never get finished and there's no flow to the game. So I, I think that we should try and get every single call right, but it's just one of those things where it, it just cannot happen. So we can either have this have a, a football-like um, uh, thing where you just review everything under two minutes, or we can have flow to the game. And yeah, well, what if, what if there's a – go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, for, for me personally, I think it's better for the product if we have flow to the game. Like, I just think that's just better for everybody um, because, like I said, you can review anything. There are there are many, many calls that could be reviewed, and obviously we're talking about this one because they got it wrong, but this is just, this is just how it's going to go as long as you have humans making these calls. And sometimes they are they, – and, and a lot of – like this one is egregious. The one last night is egregious, and it's a bad miss, and, but that's a rarity. Normally, the misses are, if they're even misses, these are 50-50 calls. And so I, I don't like the idea of just going to the monitor every time there's a 50-50 call because I would rather see these guys play. And I'd rather see them actually have flow to a basketball game as opposed to having a two-minute stoppage every time there's a close call. Yeah, I agree with you about the flow of the game. I hate how it can sometimes even slow – it feels like it can slow down the flow of a football game and so much less a, a basketball game that – you know, the aesthetic of it is how about how free flowing it is and how quickly you're able to get through a basketball game. It's one of the more appealing parts of it. But I do feel like there's got to be just in my mind, there's got to be a happy medium where, you know, two minutes in a football game is much shorter than, you know, two minutes in a basketball game, I feel like can be much longer than two minutes in a football game just because of all of the back and forth. You know, like in two minutes, one team has can have a possession in a football game. Like that's a that's a two minute drill. That's that's one team's possession. Two minutes in basketball is an eternity. So like maybe it's not two minutes. You know, maybe it's the last forty five seconds. I don't. I'm, I'm being very arbitrary with the number because I don't have the correct answer. I don't know what the right number is. But I feel like along with what you're saying to be consistent with the flow of the game or or to keep the flow of the game right. It's not two minutes because that's just too much damn time. And maybe it's inside a minute, inside 40 seconds, the last 30 seconds. I don't know. I'm just throwing out a number out there that's less than two minutes, far less than two minutes to kind of keep up what you're saying. But also in, in these most ever most critical moments, because I, I would hate I know this is a meaningless. You know, I feel like we we're kind of joking in the beginning of the game about how the Knicks crowd was out there chanting out Jalen Brunson MVP chance and some of the Knicks crowd was able to get some of the Rockets crowd riled up a little bit 
Uh, I feel like you took a picture before the game, just kind of sarcastically pointing out that the Rockets and Knicks have played bigger games than the one that they played on Monday night. And so it's a meaningless contest, but I would hate for something even close to this to happen in a game that, that really matters, a game that people are really paying attention to. I'd love for them to figure out a solution that is like a happy medium between let's not bog the game down and ruin the flow of the game, but let's not like allow a, a <laughs> to, to allow a game to end quite like, like, I don't know. I don't think I've seen a game in quite like that with the call being as bad as it was. It was, very, to me, it was, like you said, it was very unique and, and very specific in particular to this moment. Yeah, I just, I don't think there is a whole lot you can do. Uh, unless you want to give teams another challenge with two minutes to go, but then, hey, now we can just blow our challenge, you know, early. Like, the league has tried. I will say the league tried, and this is why they did the extra challenge, and this is why now maybe the league should say, you know what? Um, you get two challenges now and you get the second one, even if you're wrong, if you want to do it that way, okay, that's fine. But at some point they, they have the challenge system out there for a reason. And as a coach and as a team, you still have to, you know, there's still some strategy that goes with using the challenge. And I think far too often this year, you have seen teams just be kind of cavalier with how they use their challenges. And I think the Knicks were right there. And that was, that was a bad, let's, let's just be honest. That challenge in the, in the first half, second quarter, was a bad challenge. That is a block charge that is going to be, at best, it's a 50-50. Like, that's not, a 50-50 call is not going to get overturned most of the time. So don't challenge it. Challenge the obvious ones. And that's where Tibbs screwed up. And I guess Tibbs got emotional, or I, I don't know exactly where that challenge came from in the second quarter. But that was a mistake. And if you don't make that challenge, then, hey, maybe you still use that challenge later on in the game. But maybe it's a call that's even more obvious. And then maybe you give yourself that second challenge and then you could challenge that call. You know, the, the, the call that the Rockets challenged was an obvious one. It, you know, the, the Rockets also used their challenge in the first half. And that was on the kickout with uh, Dante DiVincenzo. That was an obvious one. That's what you're supposed to use these calls for, especially in the first half. You don't use your challenge in the first half for the 50-50 call. You use it for the obvious one, and that's where Tim screwed. That's where Tim screwed up. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that point. Like, I'm I'm not here, and that's why I tried to. My, the way I tried to wiggle out of this was, hey, set something up from the league standpoint and toward the end of the game, the final seconds of the game. But I'm not here. I made this point earlier. I'm not here for bailing out coaches for mismanaging their timeouts and their and their challenges. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, it's not like feel sorry for Tibbs because he didn't have a challenge. It was more of a feel sorry for the integrity and aesthetic of the game at the end of it. You know, looking like that. You know, but Rockets fans celebrate a win is a win. You got to win, and you got to win against a really good team. I want to before we move on, just since, since we're talking about it, like hit on that game real quick. Because, I, I mean, my thought on it was, you know, I like the way that they played in the first half. All that the Knicks seemed to really be able to get off in that first half was Dante DiVincenzo. And I feel like if, if Dante DiVincenzo was the one that was beating you, um, that you would live with that. And so I, I like the way that they played overall for the most part, you know, except for, you know, a, a, a short flat period there in the first half. But I really liked how they played in the first half. And I was shocked by the third quarter, how the defense fell apart and how it seemed like it was just all Knicks in the in the third quarter and really the entire second half. Uh, for I, I thought for the most part, the Knicks actually outplayed them. The, the Rockets were very lucky to win, not just from that shot, but based off of how they responded after halftime. What were your takeaways 
from from the game overall itself. Uh, they let the Knicks get back into it in the third quarter because of the rebounding. And the Knicks are a very good offensive rebounding team. And I think they had eight or nine offensive rebounds in the third quarter alone. I think at one point they had missed 14 shots at one point in the uh, in the third quarter, and they've gotten the offensive rebound on eight of the 14. I mean, that's the sort of stuff that you can't do. And that's the sort of stuff that gets them in trouble. And both teams, you know, I, I don't make a whole lot of it. I thought Amin Thompson obviously was really good. Yeah. And he put up the box score, and I think that that's something that he's going to do just constantly. Um so uh, that's been important for them. Aaron Holiday has had kind of a nice little bounce back. He he went through a stretch where he wasn't playing a whole lot, but then he was really good uh, in, in last night's game. And that's the first time that they've won this season without Fred Van Vliet. And then, of course, Dylan Brooks was great. Yeah, he was on uh, fire, yeah. on fire from three. Yeah. Yeah, so Dylan Brooks stepped up when they needed him to. So, listen, that's a good team. Uh, both teams are shorthanded. They, the Rockets have not played well while being shorthanded uh, really over the last six weeks. Um, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot if you can't beat Memphis on Wednesday. And so Memphis, again, the Rockets will still be shorthanded on Wednesday. Memphis will be, again, shorthanded as they've been the entire year. But the Rockets haven't won back-to-back games in, what, six weeks now. So it, at some point, you, you need to be able to win back-to-back games just to – Give yourself something positive to go in, uh, go in with, uh, with the All Star break, and to try and at least put yourself in position to get back in this play in because, you know, all of a sudden they're three games out of the last play in spot, and you know it's tough to make up that sort of ground. Given that they are three games out of the play in spot, and given that it has been so long since they won back to back games, and given that they're injured and have honestly been injured for a while now. Like uh, obviously, you know, Tari Eason, that's someone we'll, you know, we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, we'll mention him a little bit later, but like he's missed over 20 games now. And, you know, Dylan Brooks was out for a while. Um, they've had a lot of guys miss time. Obviously, Fred Van Vliet is out right now. Given all of this, why do you think? Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus well, we talked about this before, about the trade deadline, not expecting there to be a lot. I, I sort of held out a little reservation that maybe they would try to make a little bit more of a splash or make a move or something, just given the the stakes and the stated goals of, of doing more this year. Why do you think, given all of these factors around the team and all of the – they could seemingly use some help, why do you think it was such a quiet trade deadline, not, not much outside of – just trading for Steven Adams, which isn't going to really factor into the team until next season. There just wasn't anything out there. I mean, you can't, you can't make a trade just for the sake of saying that you made a trade. And so uh, I know they tried. Um, I think they did try to add another center, but 
you know, if you're not going to overpay for a guy who, who you know, isn't going to have much of a role for you. Uh, I thought if anything, they would subtract from the roster. I thought maybe you'd see Tate or Landale get traded. But especially with Tate, they value Tate. Like, they love Jay Sean Tate, both the coaching staff, the GM. They all like Jay Sean Tate. And so, like, they weren't – I think the asking price that they wanted was two second was uh, three second-round picks. And so, if you're not going to get your asking price, then – then there's no reason to trade the guy, especially a guy who you have under contract for next season. So why are you giving a guy away? So um, you do what you can when it comes to the deadline. Like there are a lot of teams that are out there looking for guys. There are not a whole lot of sellers just with the way, you know, the playing makes it so that there aren't a whole lot of teams selling at this point. So just wasn't a whole lot out there for them. And I I think they did try probably on some bigger stuff and, and that stuff didn't come to fruition either. But they still are set up really well for the summer to try and make some sort of a splash. They've got expirings. They're going to most likely get a lottery pick from Brooklyn, which right now looks like it could fall in the top 10. Um, They could still wind up with their first round pick. I think what they are, uh, I think that right now they've got maybe a 14% chance of keeping that pick, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. They can't really move. They can't really fall much further from where they, where they are in the lottery rankings, but you know, that's still an option for them too. Um, I, I do think the Brooklyn picks and the pick swaps that they have with Brooklyn are going to be very valuable uh, when you when you get down to it just because Brooklyn is just kind of stuck at this point. So they're set up. They didn't do anything rash, uh, and, and they get 20-something more games to try and learn more about the guys that they actually have on the team. Do you feel like the Rockets are a team to watch just like in the NBA, like maybe they're a team to watch in the offseason for a oh, possible trip? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that – they have contracts that you can stack up and get to somebody big. They have, you know, they'll have, um, they, they have their own picks to trade in 2028, 20, uh, 2030 and 2032. They have um, the Brooklyn 2024 pick and the 2026 pick. Plus they've got two pick swaps from Brooklyn. So like, that's a lot, that, that's a lot of stuff that they have to offer. Plus they have young players that teams might like. Uh, they have, like I said, they have expirings. Um, that teams might like. So, yeah, I, I do think that if there is a star or a star level type player that becomes available uh, over the summer, they will certainly be in the mix. And I'm sure they'll check in. I'm sure they'll check in once again with Mikael Bridges uh, because that is a guy who it seems like Ime Udoka really likes. And if it goes poorly in Boston uh, in the postseason, I guarantee you they'll check in on Jalen Brown and see if there's, you know, if they can maybe get something done with that. So I think that they are, are very much in the mix. They, they are not going to be operating in all likelihood. They will be operating from above the cap. Uh, so they won't, you know, they'll, they can, they'll still have the, the their full mid-level exception that they can offer if they do want to add a free agent. But yeah, they, this is going to be, this will be a busy summer for them. So with all of that in mind, how big of a, post all-star break stretch we're already into the second half of the season but this post all-star break stretch for the core six and i'm getting into general manager rafael stone speaking with you guys speaking with media earlier in the week and he talked about being pleased with the development of the young players we'll call them the core six that's the draft picks of the last three years right jalen green and alpern shingun of a couple of years ago or i guess a few years ago now um, Jabari Smith Jr. and Tari Eason of now a couple of years. God, man, time is freaking flying. I'm like, man, yo, Jalen Green's in his third. Like, all these guys have been around for a little while now. So, yeah, Jabari Smith and Tari Eason now in their second year. And, of course, we know Amon Thompson 
and uh, Cam Whitmore, the rookies that were drafted in the first round this year, the core six, says that he's pleased, not necessarily satisfied, that they're demanding you were there. What what stood out to you from y'all's interaction with Raphael Stone? And then and then I want to get into briefly, we don't have to spend a lot of time on them, but I want to talk about each player for a second, just about each player's development if we can. Yeah, I don't know if anything really stood out. Um it is the first time that I think that he's been done any sort of formal media availability since the season started. So, you know, you just kind of want to see where he's at and he's not going to say a whole lot uh, in that type of a setting. So yeah, I, I didn't get much from it. Um, I, I thought you kind of learned a little bit more about, you know, just what he was thinking with Steven Adams more than anything else, but um, he didn't go real in depth. I, I think really the only guy that he went in depth on per se, I guess he did with Cam Whitmore a little bit, but he went a little bit in depth with Jalen green. And, and I think as we look through the end of the season, that's the guy who probably has more on the line than anybody else, because he's got an opportunity and the same thing with Shingun uh, to make himself a lot of money and to, um, put himself in position to get the big rookie extension. And I, I don't know if that is a, I think that's one of the questions that we'll probably ask when we get to the end of the season is, does he feel like it's a priority to get an extension done with the two extension eligible guys sooner rather than later? Or do you just have them play it out and, and go into restricted free agency in, in 2025? So I think that's why for Jalen green, if you have a really good last however many games are left you set yourself up to get into the conversation where you know they are talking extension and they're exchanging real numbers as opposed to if you wait a year then you you know you, you play it out and you try and make the best that, that you can out of it and then you see if you can get that max deal or you can get the, the big offer sheet from somebody else and force the rocket's hand so um and the same thing kind of goes with shingun too i think shingun is probably uh, he's had the better year obviously this year of the two uh, but he's got a chance to to play himself into the big extension also. So I think that's those guys have the most on the line uh, over the the end of the season. Uh, I think the others, you know, we still have to see if Tar East is going to play. It's it's been you know six weeks or so, or almost six weeks since he's played. So we got to wait and see. He's got to get healthy more than anything else. And and I think that they're happy with how the rookies have played. I think that they probably had at least with Whitmore, he's had a bigger role than I think they anticipated he would have when the season started and he's been really good. You know, he's, he's been, he's been solid for the most part when he has played and Amin Thompson is starting to figure things out at this level also. All right. So let's, let's start here with Jalen green and Alperin Shingun. Here's my thought. And, and just help me talk through this. Is there, do you think there's an appetite for like, these are the two extension eligible guys, right? Eligible. I can, if I can say eligible, these are the these are the two extension eligible guys, Alper Shingun and Jalen Green. Do you feel like there is an appetite for extending one of them and not the other? And is that like is that awkward at all? Like what if like as you can do for either or both, right? But if you just go Shingun and then Jalen Green is not lame duck, but sort of an approved year lame duck. Like I like I'm I'm curious. And maybe there's not a great answer for this, but I am curious about what is the what is the messaging there, uh, and what is the like what are, for lack of a better term, what are vibes if that happens if they were to do that? What like what do you think about that proposition? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know because it's been so long since I've been in this position. I mean, when you think about it, 
um, they drafted Clint Capello in the first round in 2014, and they didn't have another first round pick again until Jalen Green. So this is really the first time that they have had that we've even had the the rookie extension conversation. Or I guess they drafted Sam Decker, but Sam Decker was gone after two years. So really, Capella is the last guy that they had that we even have talked about an extension with, and they took Capella to restricted free agency. So yeah, I know different GM obviously, but I think that they are probably comfortable with taking guys to free agency. And if they don't feel like you know if you can't come together on an extension. You know, I'm sure they'll exchange numbers. And if you can't come together on something, then you say, okay, well, play it out and we'll see what happens next summer. Um, we'll obviously talk and you know, we'll go from there. And if you get a better offer from somebody else, we'll match it, or maybe we won't match it. You know, who knows? So I, I think that it, it, it's difficult because it's risky. Like if you don't sign guys to an extension and all of a sudden they pop off the next year, what happens? you're stuck. And then you could have gotten the guy for a whole lot cheaper than he wound up being, you know, you look at Jalen Brunson, isn't the best comparison, but the Mavs could have signed Jalen Brunson to a, a very reasonable contract extension before, you know, a couple of years ago, they chose to play it out and he popped and, you know, he basically got double of what he was asking them for. But the difference was that he was unrestricted uh, at least, you know, with the Rockets in this case, um, the guys that we're talking about would be restricted free agents. So it's it's difficult. You know, it, it's it's a really tough question to to answer because, you know, what if you sign these guys to big extensions and then all of a sudden their play, you know, they they flop and they aren't worth it. So you're basically paying these guys on what you think they will wind up being as opposed to what they really are. That's what makes the rookie extensions difficult. It seems to me like the most logical play is to just not extend either one of them. You know, because you don't have to, right? And they're, they're, they're getting paid. Everybody's getting paid handsomely. No one's poor, right? So just don't do it. Like, it, it, that that feels like the smartest play. Um, now, I, I asked the question, I prefaced it with, like, vibes. Like, what is the morale? What is the messaging? What's the feeling? What's the confidence that you're showing in your players or lack thereof if you don't do it? How do they respond to that? Like, I don't know the answers to any of that, but it does like personalities and egos and the interpersonal aspect of sports feels like it matters more in the NBA, possibly than any other sport that we cover. And maybe that's overstated, but it certainly matters. Right. So like that's a that's a that's a thing I got. I, like, I really just wonder about that. If like maybe the best way is to just kind of play it cool and let these guys continue to play, continue to develop. Like, I don't. Like, I don't think that we've seen – I'm not breaking ground here on by saying this, but I don't think we've really seen either of those two guys tap into their – fully tap into their potential, even though Alper Shingun is playing way better than a lot of people expected him to play, and he's better than a lot of people probably expected him to be. Like, they're so young. It's, it's, it's hard to surmise that those guys have, have really tapped into it. Why not just give it another year and see where – uh, see where things take you perhaps midway through next year or, or possibly at the end of next year, uh, see where the chips fall. Or or if one of your younger players emerges as the clear guy that since you're going to have to be making the decisions on them the following years, right? Maybe one of those guys emerges as the clear guy that you want to give that extension to and that information reveals itself. And now you know that, hey, it's not it's it's not you it's me or it's not nothing against you Jalen or Al, or Alpi or whoever it is that doesn't get the extension maybe it's 
uh, maybe we're looking at it a year from now and it's like, hey, it's a two year conversation is a conversation two years out. But maybe it's Cam Whitmore. Maybe it's Thompson. Maybe it's, you know, you know I, don't, I don't think, it, you know, Jabari, Jabari and Tari don't really strike me as those type of players. But maybe it's, well, you know, just in theory, like, you know, where maybe it's one of these other guys and it's not uh, and it's not one of these the, the oldest of them. So it's a it's a very like like you mentioned, man, it's not a place that they've been in. Uh, even with the those top two guys, you know, like like just having uh, the, the the rookie or the pick to to make the decision on, much less a a list of six of them, sort of in consecutive years, where the where that uh that decision is going to be right around the corner. Well, they've got the six, and then they're going to have the lottery pick from from Brooklyn. So you're looking at seven guys over a four year span. That's a lot of money. Uh, it, it's a gamble for both sides. Like the Rockets could go to Jalen Green and say, hey, we'll offer it. We'll give you four for 120. And that's not close to the max. And Jalen Green could say, no, I'm going to play it out and I'm going to bet on myself. Or he could take it and, you know, maybe he has a great year next year. And, you know, it turns out that he gave the Rockets a discount. Remember Steph Curry, um, he signed for far less than what he probably should have gotten when he got his rookie deal because he had been hurt. And so instead of making – he probably could have made double. I don't know what the, the rookie level – um, extension was back in 2013 or whoever, whenever it was, but he was only making $11 million a year with that first extension that allowed them to get Kevin Durant. Um, so, you know, you just kind of have to wait again. It, it's a gamble for both sides. Um, if you're, you are the Rockets, you don't have to do it, but um, if you don't get it done and both these guys turn in all-star caliber seasons next year, then all of a sudden you're stuck and you're paying these guys maybe a lot more than you could have gotten away with. Um, and, and the other aspect of it, if you sign the guys um, before the season, if you give them the extensions, they basically become untradeable for a year. Like you, it, it's very difficult because of the poison pro provision. Uh, you cannot trade these guys. If you don't do extensions with them, it makes them very tradable when you get down to the deadline. Or if you get down at some point of the season, you know, if you want to do something with Mikael Bridges, it becomes a whole lot easier to include Jalen in there if you don't sign him to the extension. Uh, and if that, but again, we're talking that that's almost that's almost a year down the road. All right, so let me ask you something about Amin Thompson because he's you know able to play a little bit more with Fred Van Vliet's injury. That's kind of the I don't want to say the benefit because I don't I don't like to view a guy's in, injury as a benefit, but that is you know it allows another guy to step up, and that guy is Amin Thompson. I I'm gonna throw this at you, kind of here on the spot. Where does he already to you rank among the Rockets defenders? I think Dylan Brooks is clearly their best defender. I don't want to get like cute with this, but after that, where does Thompson to you rank? Because I am impressed with his activity defense. He's a rookie, obviously, but it, it feels like he's got, you know, some obvious and clear size and athleticism, God given, but also some really good instincts out there on the floor. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know exactly where he ranks. Um, he's really good, though. And, and like you said, the size really helps. Uh, he's a great rebounder. I, I think that's one of the more underrated aspects of his game is that he's he's a guy who could be a double-digit rebound guy. I, I think let him, let him in rebounding against the Knicks, which, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, Ime Udoka has made the, uh, the Ben Simmons comparison with him just because there is a very similar skill set. He's not quite as big. As Ben Simmons, you know, uh, Ben Simmons is a little taller and he's a little wider and, you know, he's stronger, which is, you know, pretty natural when you consider just the age difference. But I, I do see that comparison um, and they've kind of used 
um, Thompson like Simmons was used in, in the past, you know, when he was out there. So I think that's probably an apt comparison. Um, again, he, he's a really good defender. He's a game changer on that end of the floor. And, and so you look at, you know, how, however they, they're, they're set up for next year, like you have a, a, a lineup with, Amen Thompson and Tari Eason and Dylan Brooks and Jabari Smith Jr. Like that's a really good defensive unit. And you know, you could probably throw in Steven Adams next year uh with that mix. Like that's that's a really tough team to score against. That's a, a team that's gonna force a lot of turnovers. So like you have the makings of 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 a really good, you know, unit with that with that group. So I think that if he learns how to shoot, I think that's gonna be the big thing. Like if that shot ever comes around, then he's gonna be a really special player. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I, I I feel like it's it's really like the the only thing that he's missing, and he's missing it really badly. Um, I, I thought it was a really interesting play where was it Jalen who thought he was finding him in the corner, but he wasn't there, and he had, uh, this was earlier in the game against the Knicks, and he had already cut to the basket, and it was just a, you know a real bad turnover pass out of bounds you know, expecting him to be in the corner, but he's not a shooter, you know, and so he's not going to sit there at the quarter wave on the shot. He's going to, he made the right play. And so it was just kind of a miscommunication and maybe a misunderstanding of the, of your personnel, your teammates out there. But man, if he gets, like, I, I, there's a lot of talk about uh, Ben Sullivan, the, I, I guess he's, is he their shooting coach, you know, or, you know, kind of the guy that they, that they go to for shooting if they if they're able to just kind of tap into anything his form looks fine he just he's just a bad shooter man he didn't shoot free throws until late in the game and he missed them both uh if you remember that it was like god man the shot looks fine i just don't understand why i don't understand why he's so bad or why he's not better at that you know um but but certainly that's a thing like I think about guys who were able to improve their shot over time, like Jason Kidd stands out, you know, Ben Simmons is the opposite, you know, uh, is the counterfactual uh, sort of example of this, but, you know, it, it, it feels like a player as young as that, if, you know, if he's got everything else and all you need to do is work on the shooting, that seems like something that you can work with or should be able to work. with. Yeah, you would hope. Uh, and again, I'm sure that that's probably going to be, top of his list when you get into the offseason is working on the shot and just getting it consistent and at least making it so that teams have to like defend you from out there. I like Jabari Smith Jr.'s game, but I feel like it's, you know, still up and down at times. Like sometimes he looks like one of the better players on the, clearly one of the better players on the floor. And then at other times he still looks like a really, really young player, which he is to be fair. You know uh, what, since we're just here on the core six before we move on, what have you thought about Jabari specifically since he got back from what was his? I'm trying to remember his injury. Was it an ankle? Yeah. What was his injury? Since he got back from his ankle injury, what what are you what are you thinking about his game? I mean, he's been fine. I think that he is. You saw a lot of what he could be in summer league. I think that got people really excited, and uh, he's he's carried that over. Like the the counting stats aren't really there. He doesn't shoot the ball probably as much as he should. Yeah, he's, he's always around the ball, and I think the rebounding has been really big for him on both ends of the floor: offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds. Uh, he's been really good with that, and he's a guy who can get a rebound and he can go bring the ball up the floor himself. He's not like good at it, but he's not afraid to do it either. Um, the shooting has obviously gotten better. Um, 
better from the field, better from behind the three point. I mean, this is a guy who was shooting less than 41% from the field last year, uh, 31 and less than 31% from three. I mean, those numbers have increased significantly. So I think that that's been really good. You'd like to be able to see him get to the free throw line a little bit more and he's still got to get stronger. Like he's got to get a little bit more explosive just in, in his lower half and he's got a chance to be really good, but you know, he's not, he doesn't back down from anyone. Uh, he can, uh, you're starting to see the defender that they thought he could be. And so I think that, he probably should not have been. He, he's not. He's not going to wind up being the best player in that draft class, but he's still going to be really, really good. Yeah, and I, I think you tell me if you agree with this. But the thing that has stood out, it just feels like he hesitates for this. Like he seems. There's. It's hard to measure this. This. So this is like an eye test observation here. But he just seems so much more sure of himself. You know, when he's out there on both ends of the floor. It just it feels like he knows what he's doing and he's got a level of confidence that didn't feel like it was there certainly early on in, in his rookie year, but feels like it's been there throughout this year, even when he even at times when he wasn't necessarily playing well. So um had twenty uh Monday night, I believe, against uh against the Knicks and you know, was I guess sort of a quiet twenty because of what you got from Dylan Brooks and you know, Dylan Brooks shooting shooting the ball well from three. And, of course, Aaron Holiday coming off the bench and giving you what he gave you. And obviously the way the game ended, that that's, you know, certainly left an imprint. But, but yeah, man, I, I like his game. He would be – he would be the – to me, he epitomizes the pleased but not satisfied line, party line that they're given uh, from, from the Rockets, right? Pleased with the development but not quite satisfied because you can see some of the things that he can develop in, like you mentioned getting stronger and just low, getting stronger overall, lower and upper, uh, lower half and upper body. Um, I, I think there's a lot of room to grow w- within that frame. And once he does get stronger, he's got a skill set that, uh, I mean, look, man, the dude's long, gangly, long arm, nice shooting stroke, um, should be able to get his shot off against just about anybody in the league. I know there's some freaks coming in the league between, you know, I just, you know, I was just watching Chet, you know, watching the thunder and the magic and, Obviously, Wendy's out there. Like, there's some, <laughs> there's some tall dudes in the league, but uh, but Jabari's got a got a sweet stroke, and you know, as, as he gets stronger, he should be able to compete with pretty much anybody, um, any other four in the game. Honestly, even if he's not going to be, you know, max player or the best player in the draft or whatever the case may be. All right, be- before we go, man, Tari Eason, we're talking about the core six, but he's the one that let's say, yeah. He's the one that that it's been the longest since we've seen him play, right? Is that is that fair? He's the it's been the longest since we've seen Tar Eason play because he's been out for over twenty games now. What what's the I, I, I almost I know injury injury updates are not necessarily the sexiest thing to do on a podcast, but when a player of this magnitude to me on the team has been gone this long, I feel like we should at least address it or speak on it, even if it's the same damn thing that we said the last time. And I think it is the same damn thing that we said the last time. But Adam, like, I mean, where where are we at with this dude? I know I saw a couple of people talking about they was worried, you know, a couple of Rockets fans online talking about they was worried this dude is going to even play again uh, this year. Not again ever, but like this year. Where where are we at with Tari? Yeah, I don't know. Um, 12 days ago, we're doing this on February 13th. 12 days ago, Ime Yudoka said that he was – starting to play one-on-one, two-on-two, and that he would play next week. So this past week was when they thought that he might be able to play. The A day later, so 11 days ago, Eason said that 
it was going to be sooner rather than later. Again, he did not play at all on that road trip. I think that he was wishful. I think that he thought that he would have a chance to play on the road trip. I think that was kind of the plan and then did not play at all on the road trip. Um, wasn't even like questionable. Like he was just ruled out on the injury report. Um, I asked Udoka about it yesterday because again, they ruled out Eason. They ruled out Eason again for, for uh, the game in Memphis. And Udoka said that he was experienced. I asked Udoka, like, did he suffer a setback? And the answer I got was he experienced some soreness just in the normal ramp up. So I, I Udoka said it, it's, it wasn't a setback per se. I think it was something that maybe they had expected, but I don't know. It's going to be one of those things. Obviously, he's not going to play the last game before the break. So when they start practicing right after the All-Star break, that'll be kind of a tell to see if he is actually, you know, see where things are. Uh, and so that, that's the best I can do for you right now. They've been pretty vague with this whole thing, um, even going back to when he first started missing games. You know, we're in Chicago on, February, on uh, January 10th, I think it was. And they said one to two weeks he was going to be reevaluated and – they wouldn't tell me he, Yudoka wouldn't say when the one to two week period would start or if it had started already. So I don't, it's just one of those things. Um, again, they've been vague and we'll maybe get a little finality out of it. Uh, once they get back from the all-star break. All right, man, let's, uh, let's do this. I'm trying to see if we're going to do this probably before, maybe, maybe do this after all. So maybe, <laughs> How, how much are you into the All-Star uh, festivities at this point? I know it feels like a young man's event at this point. I don't know if, if I'm getting to be the uh, old curmudgeon who's like uh, All-Star, small star. But I, I, I still get into it a little bit. I'm going to be honest, man. I, I still get into it. What about you? I will not. I, I, it is unlikely I will see any of it. <laughs> I, I was so expecting that answer. So expecting that answer. I, I did the last couple of years because you had Rockets that were in the dunk contest, so you kind of wanted to see that. But I'm not watching the the rookie sophomore thing or whatever they call it. I, I, I have zero interest in that, and I don't really care about the dunk contest. Even the three-point shootout, I it, it's kind of gotten boring for me. So, yeah, yeah, I'll probably be sitting this one out. And the game is All just right. watchable. All right, we'll we'll figure out something to talk about next week when uh, when we do this again. H Town Hoops podcast. As Adam Spillane, I'm Brandon Scott. Austin Mendez produces this bad boy. Handles things for us behind the scenes. Make sure that y'all subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends about it. Subscribe to the Sports Radio 16 YouTube page where you can also watch the video version of this podcast. And until next time, man, y'all be good. <laughs>